2: John Copenhaver and Al Warren.
0: on one hundred six point five FM, Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM, Riverside,
2: and one hundred five oh AM, Palm
3: Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mister Dave at Dollar Store Martino. I'm back. You're back, and you're at the dollar <laughs> store again. What, I was. What did you get me? Did you get me that the mullet member from the the? Oh no,
2: I didn't even think of that. No, oh. I, I didn't see any mullets, any mullet wigs.
3: Well, they'd probably but.
2: be sticky and plastic and all. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I got vacation from 2015 on Blu-ray for a dollar twenty-five. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, and some can't... King Kong movies. King Kong. Yeah, like the Japanese King Kong movies with there's like a robot King Kong. Wow. Yeah. Well, those things
3: have been kind of popular. I see them yeah. played a lot on a lot of these channels, you know, yeah,
2: sitting around. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, it's it's been like that since uh, since I can remember. We used to have, uh, like, Creature Double Feature on Channel 56 in, in Boston, and oh. uh, they used to play Godzilla and King Kong and some yeah. Price movies. Yeah,
3: yeah, I've been seeing a lot of those lately on these. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's the deal. Is. Maybe it's kind of a kind of a retro for all of that. Jeez, um, you know, I'm so old, I can't even think of all the new ones they're doing now. The,
2: yeah, well, they're doing more Godzilla and King Kong and...
3: And Lego and all those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that other one? There's another one, too, where they... Transformers.
2: Oh, Transformers. Yeah, that's really big, too. Yeah,
3: it's been really big. And I remember thinking they were so corny. <laughs> but no hate mail, please. I just... I'm just old. Okay. So don't treat me.
2: <laughs> yeah, well you were older when those came out.
3: Yeah. Well they just seemed kinda you know. corny. Right. And they weren't <laughs> as good. And then now I didn't I watched one of the movies and I just didn't it didn't hold me. So
2: Robot aliens that turn into cars. What more could you ask for? <laughs> yeah, right?
3: You know? Hopefully they're not gas cars, they're electric cars. <laughs> <laughs> they're electric cars. <laughs> It'd be expensive yeah. to run them, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, so you see, okay, so the writer strike is still going on. Okay, yep. So nothing, nothing happening there. I see Drew, Drew Barrymore. Do you see all that scuffle, skedaddle, scuffle over her? She was on apologizing on Instagram and everything for a while. No, I didn't. Well, I guess and she did this time. <laughs> she was just going to go back to work because she's got that talk show in the day.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: On TV, so she was going to go back to work and do it anyway, and without the writers, and of course that all. Oh. Big uproar there. And so she was on Instagram crying and saying she's sorry and it's kinda of like that stuff. And it's like a lot of drama over. Not very I much.
2: forget that you would need writers for a show like that.
3: Yeah. If you do. It's kind of the way it is. It's always <laughs> been that way. Johnny Carson, all those people who had writers. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Comedy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You gotta have some I guess. I don't know. We don't have any writers. No, we they, why don't they just wing it like we do? Because we're a terrible show on <laughs> their <laughs> They're, they're, they're the big national shows. Yeah. Or just local, you know, LA. <laughs> nobody cares what happens in LA or Palm Springs, Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And the Pope Exorcist, like I said, I'd give it two stars. Two stars? How's that? Take it or leave it. I really <laughs> like Russell Crowe. I think he's a good actor and the beginning part is really kind of good, but yeah. it's very, very tropey, cliche. It's just the same old thing. Yeah, it's too bad. Characters are just, uh, like I said, mother-daughter fighting, teen-daughter throwing her cigarette, fighting, move to a new old house, and the boy gets possessed, wow. and, of course, Russell has to come save him. I wasn't yeah, excited. just the basic. Yeah, I wasn't excited. It's was one of those things you could have on, and you can do your work while you're. <laughs> you would hope with Russell Crowe that they would have, you know. That's the only reason I right? watched it. The right. only reason was I turned it on because the trailer looked pretty intense, and then I thought, well, it'll be good. He's a good actor. He does good shows, you know. Yeah. But maybe he's turning into that Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I wanted, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for that, you know. Someone. Well,
2: the Renfield me. movie I actually enjoyed with Nick. Yeah, Cage. it looks like it's funny.
3: I saw the first yeah, five fun. minutes, yeah. but just didn't have time. But it looks like it'd be funny. So. Yeah. Anyway, well. Now, we've got a returning author with us today, and she's going to tell us how to be successful. Uh, so Her newest book is called Betrayed by the Truth, and it's an Emmeline Kirby and Gregory Longdon mystery. So, uh, Daniela Burnett, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me back. I, I look forward to chatting. We always
3: have such a fun time. Jeez, I, I'm going to have to. There's so much. I have to get back into old radio when I have you on because there's a lot of pronouncing to do here. <laughs> there's so many names. Ah, say this ten times real quick. <laughs> so uh, uh, what's going on with you? What, what's been going on since you were here last? You how, Are you writing a lot of books every single year? Is this sort of a common thing for you?
1: Not a lot of books. I try to do one book a year because I, I also work full-time, so it, it's a, a challenge in itself finding the time to squeeze in to write. So I, I usually do one book a year. So since we last saw it, this book has come out, and I'm working on uh, book 10 at the moment.
3: How do you keep a, a, a series like this going? And And I mean that in a lot of ways, not just ideas, but keeping it so that it's still relatively fresh, you know, so that people hold on to the interest?
1: Well, uh, a key thing is they're all, uh, as maybe some of your uh, uh, listeners don't know, just to refresh their memories, Emmeline Kirby is a journalist. Um, She's the um, editorial director of investigative features at a paper called The Clarion, and her husband is Gregory Longden, and he's a quote-unquote former jewel thief, uh, who is now an insurance investigator, but he still steals jewels. So his his past life, there's still a lot of secrets there, which I can weave into news stories. Um, she knows some secrets now, but she doesn't know everything, so that his past always is hovering there in the background of their relationship, because he had left her once before, and that fear is always there in the back of her mind. So that plays well into a lot of themes of mysteries and thrillers. You know, secrets, um, betrayal, as in this book. Um, the past, uh, which has an ugly way of resurging. Um, so. I try to do it that way, and um, a lot of twists and turns in the story. I, um, I think readers appreciate that to keep them keep the readers on their feet as they're turning pages to force them to continue turning pages.
3: Well, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, is it is it is it the character that you're relying on, or the characters, I should say, um, and they're let's say they're. Um, growth or their what they go through probably the m- most important thing in the book?
1: Well, yes. I mean, uh, the character is what drives the story. And it's important for the reader to make that connection with the character. Uh, otherwise, why would they bother t- uh, buying the book? So it's important um, to make that connection as well um, for the characters to grow. Because in real life, everybody changes nobody stays the same I mean your essential nature stays the same but we change um, based on the people we come in contact with the situations we are put into um, opportunities that we've missed um, or taken advantage of so all luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and
0: 365-day returns.
1: All of that, those confluence of um, influences uh, makes a difference in, like, real life, and it should in a book, because a book is not true, it's not a real story, but it has to have the ring of truth so that um, readers will um, feel compelled to continue reading, that they want to find out what happens to the characters and what happens in the story.
3: So is it that you actually, do you you kind of um, come up with ideas of what you want them to go through? Is that sort of how it goes?
1: To a certain extent, I mean, when I wrote the first book, I had the idea for the next few in my head, because it's a series, you know, you leave something in one book, you develop it a little bit more. And I knew how I wanted the characters to develop and how the the dynamic of their relationship had to change because of, of their past or what will go on in the future. So uh, it, it's a... Ongoing. I mean, each story can stand alone, but if character, I mean, if the readers follow along, they see how um, it's developed, and uh, that's why I wanted to leave something in each book to and build upon it more in the next one.
2: Well, do you find it's it's like a balancing act to to keep Gregory likable to the readers, since he's a jewel thief and he has a secret past, or or is that part of of What makes him likable? I
1: hope he's likable to my readers. A lot of readers have told me that they like him. Yes, he's a jewel thief, and that's um, technically a bad guy, but he's not quite a bad guy because <laughs> he's never he, he, he doesn't believe in violence. He's very charming. Um, he's very witty. So I think that aspect of his character balances out his criminal past, his ongoing uh, heists. So contrast with Emmeline and Gregory to the villains in my story, because the villains have to be intelligent to, to pose a challenge for Emmeline and Ge- Gregory and also to uh, create the contrast for the reader so they, you know, each character is, um, distinctly different and how the, the clash of their the natures of the, you know, one is a bad guy, one is not about how that interacts and uh, intertwines to create the storyline.
3: So when you have the, um, let's say, the, the conflict or the tension between your main characters uh, or, or something going on, do you get wrapped up in that? Does, is it emotional for you to write about some of the things they do?
1: Well, sure, because I mean, as any author will tell you, I think uh, every character is a part of himself or herself. So, um, as a human being, you feel things, so you, you you have certain emotions and so on. So, you put that into what the character is feeling or going through in that situation. So, yes, to a certain extent, that's true because you have to feel that emotion to be able to transmit that on the page and for the reader to to in in um in turn grasp that
3: well i don't feel anything i'm
1: soulless
3: <laughs> <laughs> Are you?
1: That means you're a cold-hearted soul. I don't believe
3: that. Yeah, I'm cold-hearted snake. That's what uh, Paul Abdul said saying. I don't think that's true. That's I don't true. think that's true. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, well, yeah, but, you know, um, so you, I'd imagine when you're writing several books with characters and, and you put emotion into it and you put your feelings into it and what you put them through, in a sense um creates another set of feelings that's how you keep writing right so when you look back at this but how how has this changed you over the the last years uh, because you live through your characters a lot when you in order to write them so doesn't it doesn't it change your real life as well somewhat
1: I guess so, because um, Emmeline and Gregor will never forgive me for some of the things I put them through, (laughs) especially in this book. There's a twist at the end. I'm certain they will never forgive me for what I've put them through. But adversity is necessary um, to create interest. um, And... um, in another sense, if Emmeline and Gregory didn't have the adversity, their life would be really dull. <laughs> what would they do with their lives if they didn't have a little bit of adversity from time to time?
3: Yeah, you tell them to buck up. Yeah, it. that's true.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah, and and so it's, so the when you do something like this too, uh, uh, you know, you've got the stolen Faberge egg. Yes, that vanishes, you know, and and um, and things like that. Do you, do you do a lot of research and things like it, the the product itself of Fabergé eggs and what they're about and and or do you just kind of create it and use the name?
1: Well, sure. I mean, uh, like an, an inspiration for me can come from anywhere, uh, like a, a snippet of conversation um, and, and I, a place. Uh, because my 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 books' um, place uh, setting plays an important role. Or, you know, an article. And as for this book, in terms of the Fabergé, I mean, of course, I knew about Fabergé eggs before, but I had read an article about a Russian oligarch um, who is um, whose yacht was seized because of uh, sanctions, and they found a Fabergé egg on his yacht. And I thought, uh-huh, that's very good. You know, they're covered, they're drenched in jewels and so on. Perfect for a jewel thief. Um, and then... Um, just as a little history if some of your readers don't know, um, you know, there were 50 Fabergé eggs, you know, commissioned by like Tsars Nicholas and Alexander between um, 1885 and 1917. And only 43 of those eggs are believed to exist today. So I thought, why not the Fabergé egg in my story to be one of those um, missing Fabergé eggs. You know, mystery and history play a lot of roles, and they can intertwine, and they put a kernels of ideas in my head.
3: But that was my egg on that yacht.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that means you're under sanctions now? Should, should we be mm. interrogating you?
3: Yeah. No, I just, I, I must have left it there when I was on the yacht. <laughs> oh,
1: actually,
3: see. You know, you're having just a little bobble,
1: right, you carry around in your pocket. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and I just I was just showing it off to my friends there. All these oligarchs, and they had yeah. a lot of money. And I just I went for a quick lunch to Paris and with I Ivan and Sergey, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Everybody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> it was all a mistake.
1: I see. Right. Okay, we'll give you the benefit <laughs> of the doubt.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, speaking of research, what goes into planning these heists? Um, is there a lot of research that goes into it, or how, how does that work?
1: It really depends, uh, because, um, in, when it comes in terms of the setting of my books, I've actually been to these places. So I can describe them for my readers. I, I like to make them feel like they're walking in my footsteps or in the character's footsteps. So in terms of that, um, there's not too, I mean, I, when I'm there, I, I I learn about the place because I mean I enjoy traveling so I like learning about new places and the people there and the culture because I find that fascinating and it just makes you, you know, for me, it makes me richer in that sense. So I like to transmit that. In terms of the other stuff, when I come across something like this of, about Fabergé eggs, um, I look into more articles about the Fabergé eggs. Um, uh, red diamonds also play a part in this book. So I looked up information about red diamonds, which are the rarest of the colored diamonds. So um, then I, I get the facts and then I... uh, I try to weave them into the story I want to write.
3: Well, and you went to, I I remember before you said, like you like to travel to the places to get the feel for it. And the setting was like a character and stuff. So did you go to Switzerland for this?
1: Yes. Well, and, and the thing with, with the traveling, I don't go to a place to do research. It's when I'm there, the, the place makes an impression on me and then the ideas start buzzing around in the back of my head, but yes, in terms of this story, which is set in Interlaken in Switzerland, I w- I I visited the area several years ago, and I w- it's it's absolutely beautiful, enchanting. The um the Eich, the, uh, the Eiger the um, Jungfrau and the uh, monk mountain range with their snow capped peaks, um, Lake Thun, uh, which is seven hundred feet deep, which plays uh, an aspect. In my story, um, all of these um, natural facts and history uh, play. They um, inspire me to with the story I have in mind.
3: And how is the Swiss cheese?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's good.
1: There are different kinds of cheeses, which um I can also tell you, you know, um, Holland uh, is famous for its cheeses. I just came back from Amsterdam, so they have a lot of cheeses there. So not only Switzerland is known for its cheeses.
3: Did you did you yo-ho-ho in, out in the valley over the mountains? No, no so but you know. when
1: we were there, we did go somewhere, <laughs> and they had someone do some yodeling for us. <laughs> Oh, but but the, the it's it, the it's landscape is absolutely beautiful. We happen to have been there in the late summer, August, September, but um, I, I can only imagine what it's like in the winter time too, when everything is with a blanket of snow.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I so you can really do. You have a problem describing your your area, or I shouldn't say problem. It's like, well, how do you how do you capture that in the right? words is that something that must be kind of a natural skill
1: uh i think so and not not to sound um boldly uh, uh, arrogant or anything but i think so before i started with my mystery series i i wrote two um poetry collections and they're completely descriptive so i already had that skill set in mind so i mean granted uh, a Prose is different, but when it comes to the description, I, I've already know how to do that.
3: That's an interesting sort of um, way of, everybody has a different way, but I just, um, is there particular parts of a setting that you focus on yourself that you find um, is the best way to describe an area or that people can pick it up?
1: Well, It really depends because um, I've always loved the sea as well as the mountains. So, I mean, whenever I see such a setting, it's like automatically I'm like, oh, how beautiful. And then then I start, you know, in my mind, what I see in front of me, I hope to be able to transmit to my readers. So I I think also my descriptive um, skills. When I was little, I wanted to learn how to paint and paint in oils. Um, I can't even draw. So <laughs> I guess I draw with my words rather than painting. But I love, you know, art as well. So um, maybe all of these factors play into my uh, writing.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real interesting um, area of writing uh, because some people do it really well and sometimes it just sounds forced. Yeah, that's, that's a good word.
1: I, I uh, think, I think it has to be that you really have to feel the setting and also to a certain extent to love the setting to be able, if you love something, then you're, you're able to, you're better able to, uh, describe it. So I think, I think that that's like the biggest factor the, in that.
2: You were talking about poetry, and it just uh, reminded me, I, I was just over the weekend, I was taking a fiction course with a best-selling writer, and he said that one thing that he does is he reads poetry out loud for like 10 to 15 minutes before his, the day's writing session. I was wondering, do you, do you have any rituals that you do uh, before you begin writing, or do you just, just sit down and start?
1: I just really just sit down and start. It's like at wh- whatever stage I'm in in the story, I just pick it up from there. I don't really have any, um, any rituals. Because as I said, you know, I work full time too. So that makes it difficult for me to write. So during the day when, I, when I'm when i taking my walk at lunchtime, if an idea for the story pops in my head, I quickly write it down so I don't lose it. Or at night, in the middle of the night, sometimes I think of a great line of dialogue. I wake up right away and I write that down so I don't forget it by morning. <laughs> so, um, other than that, it's just, you know, I always with, before I start writing each book, I have the idea for the story planned out in my head. I don't do an outline, but just the basic idea. I know who the killer is, I know what I want to happen. And so I at least I have something to follow as I go along. Of course, another a great idea might come along the way. And I introduce that in there. But I have the basic plot in my head before I even sit down to start writing the book. So that's why each day I can just pick up at the point where I left off previously.
3: Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. I always just drink coffee and <laughs> smoke crack, and yeah. you know. I, I drink tea. All...
1: I don't like coffee. I drink tea.
3: Yeah, I don't like coffee either. It's yeah. just the thing to do, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I follow the trends. <laughs> yeah. and I have to. And it, so now, when you're writing about a bad character yes. in the book, mm. how do you how do you approach that? Like, how do you get into the mindset of the bad person, and how? how much do you describe them or, or do you, you kind of get more behind the whole character or do they just come in and create the turmoil? Well,
1: they, they do create the turmoil. I mean, in terms of in this book, let's, let's take a, 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 an example. The, there's a, a Alexander Colfax, who's a hotel magnate. He's, um, he's one of the people who was killed. But, you know, he's supposed to be uh, a philanthropist an art connoisseur. But then we realize when when Emmeline and Gregory start peeling back the layers of his life, he's he has no scruples and he doesn't shy away from murder and blackmail or treason as long as if um, his empire would prosper. And he has uh, his coterie uh, involves a Russian mafia boss, uh, the son of a criminal elite. And uh, a spy in uh, a Russian spy in mi6. So you know I've I've always loved spy thrillers and um, spy stories and, and mysteries in general. plus uh, articles about such things, you know Russian betrayal and Russian spies and uh, defectors. they all are those kind of articles always attract me. So um, I'm able to weave that in into the villain that I'm creating. Um, so, as I said before, you know, inspiration comes from everywhere.
3: And, and how much of yourself are you putting into each of these characters? And is there one that is more you than the other?
1: Oh, well, well that would be a secret. You know, we see, you know, I have to keep some secrets to myself. No, I can tell you, okay, one thing I will tell you, I'm not part of any of the bad guys. Okay, so, Oh. I, I'm not—I'm not a perfect person. Uh, I'm short. Uh, I have a short temper, and I'm impatient. But I have never killed anybody. <laughs> I've never committed a crime. But other than that, some things have to remain secrets.
3: Right, like the Fabergé eggs that are <laughs> sitting behind your counter right now.
1: Well, why did you have to tell everybody?
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> there has to be some some secrets we give away. Oh. I mean, come on. So the listeners are here. That
1: spoils the fun.
3: Well <laughs> <it> depends. <laughs> depends on the kind of fun you like. You know? <laughs> oh. So that's it's really kind of a, a process. Are you are do you do you ever get into a, a story? Like you have this kind of idea of what you want to do and you're you're doing piece to piece. Have you ever come come up to it where you're four months in and you just don't like where it's going?
1: not really because as I said I've planned the thing out I may get a new idea that you know shifts the the storyline a little bit but essentially essentially I, I have to like the story to be able to to want to bring it to fruition but um not really i mean I may come back one day and say oh that paragraph like when i at the end, once I go through the whole book, it's like, oh, that's not so good. Oh, I, let me move it somewhere else. But not to like like a whole chapter or, or three chapters. I, I've never, until this point, and I hope I don't, knock on wood, come to that um, problem.
3: <laughs> right, right. Well, and there, there must be a, a character in, in the story that you've taken after of a, a person that's in your life and you you want to tell us who that is
1: <laughs> well again this comes to see and i will tell you something in general it's the old adage of never get an author mad because you will be the murder victim in her next book so i will leave it at that
3: <laughs> well there you go you know i just i just thought we could get someone on the other line and find out the story But that's okay. Do you know how far you're going to go with these characters? Like at this point where you're at now? Or do you just, you just don't know book to book what you're going to, what you're going to do next with, with the characters?
1: Well, I don't know how long this series will go, but in, in, in a sense, it is book to book because uh, I've left, uh, a major twist at the end of this book on the last page that um, sets the stage for the book I'm working on now. So I always like to do that, leave a little cliffhanger, leave a little secret or something uh, hanging so that we can transition to the next book. But in terms of how many books are going to be in the series, I don't know, because I have ideas floating around in my head for Emmeline and Gregory. Um, So when those ideas peter out, then I will start something new.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just don't know. It, it, that's it's interesting. So, what's your relationship with your characters?
1: Oh, I like them. I like my character. I especially um, have a soft spot for super, uh, Superintendent Oliver Burnell of Scotland Yard, who's uh, Gregory's nemesis. You know, he knows Gregory is guilty, but he's never caught him red-handed, and he continues to do that. And I like having verbal tuss. I, I, I have. A lot of fun doing the writing, the verbal tussles between um, Burnell and Gregory. Um, They just flow off the page, and sometimes. The conversations too between Emmeline and Gregory because she knows she's, she hopes uh, he's not stealing anymore. But, you know, their verbal tussles are fun to do as well as um, now that they're married, their dynamic has changed and um, you see them more as a team, not that they weren't a team, a sleuthing team before, but they are more of a team because they are married now. So, um, it's just, it's just a lot of fun to do that.
2: Well, how how do you create your dialogue? Do you, do you hear your characters, or is it something where you read out loud? There's so many ways to to um, to, to to come up with with uh, ways of doing dialogue. Some people even use um, uh, uh, dialogue uh, from 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 actors from movies. How does it work for you?
1: I hear the, I hear the di- dialogue like the, the the setting, the scene, and then. I can hear what Emmeline's going to say or Gregory or Burnell. I, I, I hear it in my head. No, I, I don't play any dialogue. <laughs> I mean, and uh, my, I'm American, as you can see, but my characters are British. So um, since I've been an Anglophile since I was a little kid, so I've always uh, read books set in England and the UK. Um, I've watched TV programs and movies. So um, my ear is accustomed to the, the dialogue. So I can and expressions and so on, so I'm able to um, put that in my stories.
3: So you dress up like your characters, and <laughs> no, don't
1: dress up. Oh. I don't dress up. No, there's no, there's no play <laughs> acting like here. It's all just evolving in my head. Oh, well,
3: it's, it's a method, right? You could just like. You yes, know, it's like
1: true. The... No, it's true. I'm not knocking that, but I, I don't happen to do it. Oh,
3: that. geez. You know, I'm, I'm in my dress all the time and, <laughs> and, you know, playing all these characters and stuff. i don't tell you, you know. So do, do your characters actually get to choose what they're going to do in your situation or are you completely in control?
1: I have total control. They think they may think they have control but no no no. I have total con-
3: put her foot put her mm-hmm. foot down there.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> you know? yes.
3: Um, so so where to next? Like when you when you've done a book you said it's taken a year so this is this is coming out this is all being done or have you already set your mind to the next book or Yes. you do. You've already got that kind of going or it's in your yes, mind? Yes, wow. Mm-hmm,
0: yes. Wow.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was – because, as I said, you know, um, it, it is a series, and I knew I was going to leave something hanging at the end. So I have to – move that That moves me into the next book. So I had to have that idea already percolating in my head while I was writing this book.
3: Right. But it doesn't – so it doesn't interfere that you – No. No, it doesn't at all. Eh?
1: No, it's – because for me, it's just um, a natural progression.
3: No, oh, I guess, yeah, it would be. Um so what's the most important thing in a book, in a story to you?
1: Everything. I mean, it, it, everything is important, but um, character is, is uh, the most important because that's what drives the story. That, the, the story evolves from the character um, and the, the situations the character will find them in, the conflicts which create tension, create the uh, um, leave uh, space for um, twist. Um, character is what drives the story, and then uh, and setting. Setting is is is, is, uh, is like another character for me, uh, which just enhances the story being told.
3: And you know, yeah, character being really important, and uh, they they can make a story last a lifetime. You know, hundreds of years. They can, you know, look at Sherlock Holmes. People still. Sure. You know, they dress up like him. They 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 rewritten him, and it's a character yeah. that people act like he's alive. You know,
0: right?
1: Because they've they've readers have made that connection. You know, yes, it's a character from a different era, but they've made the correct connection, and they admire certain parts of his character. Um, they 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 don't others, but I mean, that's again, that's natural because we all have um good qualities and we have flaws so um, you, you don't uh, everybody makes uh, you don't dislike someone for certain things and not like them for something else it's it's just that melange of different things makes the person in real life and a character and th- that's what readers choose to um, to follow I mean if you don't like the character you're not interested in the character. Why bother reading um, Sherlock Holmes's adventures or Emmeline and Gregory's adventures? It's like they, they don't they don't make an impression on me. So
3: right. Well, I don't have any flaws. <laughs> 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 but who's your Sherlock Holmes character? Who would be your character that you think is the uh, makes the most impact? And I know it's 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 a tough situation to ask someone to choose. But uh, is there one character that you think resonates with readers the most?
1: In my books? Yeah. Um, I think it has to be Emmeline and Gregory, the two of them. They're inextricably intertwined, even though they are so different. uh, But their differences um, make their um, sleuthing uh, so uh, palpable and exciting because they're coming from two different directions. So I don't think the stories would be um, as exciting if one was not there and one was. Um, even if you liked the the one that's there, so uh, I, I would have to say Emmeline and Gregory.
3: So the two of them themselves, each of their character, um, together they create almost a new character.
1: Yes, exactly. That's exactly the point. They they bring different um, uh, strong suits to the um, to the situation, and that that does create another character.
3: That in itself also makes it. I guess that also gives you a direction of how you're going to write them.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, because like before they they were married, it was they were more separate. Even though they were like moving to and they're solving the crime together. Now that they're married, that's that creates a, a completely different situation. So, um yes, that that's extremely important.
3: Wow. So, what country do you want to go to next? <laughs>
1: Should I tell you? Well, the new book it will be in uh, in London. It has to be in London because they live in London, and it'll be set in Amsterdam too.
3: Wow! There you go. So, have have you been to Amsterdam, or are you going to go?
1: Yes, I just I, I actually just came back. <laughs>
3: wow! Traveling, you just a uh, exotic lifestyle, or what?
1: <laughs> well, no, no, I wouldn't go that far. But I do, I do love traveling. I I think it's so enriching, and I just. Love getting away, love seeing new places, you know, meeting the people, um, you know, immersing myself in the culture.
3: Wow. Did, did you find the writing communities in a lot of these countries, um, are quite similar to what you experience in the U.S.?
1: I, I really like when I when I've been to these places I really haven't um, seen that. There was when I was in Edinburgh in Scotland um, the the guide on our that group we had he did tell me that a certain pub is where Ian Rankin was usually hanging out but I didn't have an opportunity to go to that pub. But I, I would assume that um, writing groups are similar in different countries. I mean, essentially, writers everywhere, they, there's inherently something the same. So they, there's an, like a magnet they attract to one another.
3: And, and being an American, and you write a lot of, um, you know, these, these mysteries, or, or European-based, let's just say, yeah. um, do you find a difference in the style of writing something, let's say a, a European mystery as compared to an American mystery.
1: Yeah, there are different sides. Like if you read, I, I've only read a few, but like those Scandinavian, those Nordic ones, they're, they're very different. Um, even like, British, mine tend to be more, because Agatha Christie is my hero, so I have that in mind, and, you know, the great British writers in mind when I'm doing my series. But I would have to say that they are different. Like, um, a lot of the difference between British writers and American writers, American writers tend to rely a lot on technology and, you know, computers and so on. I, first of all, I'm not good with that. Plus, I don't like to have uh, the story, you know, solved by that. I like my characters to use their intellect to solve the crimes. I mean, in this day and age, you know, you have to have the internet there and cell phones and things, um, because my, my, my uh, stories are contemporary. They're set in 2010. But to, with that said, I like to have Emmeline and Gregory solve the stories rather than to have technology solve the stories. And I think a lot of um, American writers tend to rely on that more. And uh, that doesn't have an appeal for me. There may be for others, but that doesn't have an appeal for me.
3: Agatha Christie, is he an American writer? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. no the
1: grand dame of mystery <laughs> so
3: what's your what's your thoughts then on um the publishers in the new versions uh new publishings or republishings of of agatha's books being um let's say edited or changed To fit the times. Do you you like that? I
1: disagree with that. I disagree with that completely because she wrote in a certain period. uh, She's describing the period of the time. So um, if you dislike what the story is, then you can use that as a history lesson to say what was wrong during that period of time. But to go in there and completely change the story to fit. You know, 2023. I disagree with that completely. It's like you know when they go in and they colorize black and white movies. I'd hate that. Yeah. I grew up mm. watching black. I, <laughs> I I hate that when they go in there and colorize it just so it can appeal to somebody. You know, one of the Gen Gen Z today. or something
3: Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It was. So. It,
2: it's for Dave. You know, it's not for. <laughs> no, I don't like that either. Yeah. I'd yeah. I don't like that. that either. I like. I like black and white. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what about, speaking of movies, what about the, the, the recent Agatha Christie movies, the, the adaptions and stuff? Have you seen them, and, and what do you think of uh, what they're doing with her work? The
1: the first, uh, the, the Murder on the Orient Express with Kenneth Browner, I thought that was pretty good. The second one, Death on the Nile, hmm. I think... It was a huge tragedy. They completely, they were introducing, <laughs> as we were just saying, they were in- introducing themes from today and right. introducing characters that were not in the story. I think it was a huge tragedy. And there's this new one coming up, A Haunting in Venice. I'm not even going to try that one. <laughs> it looks it, it looks like they made it more like a horror story yeah. rather than a mystery. So the, and I, I don't like science fiction and horror, so I'm not even going to that one. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, Dave's got a book you like to read. Oh. <laughs> <The> horror, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I, I write some horror and some science fiction. Oh,
1: do you, but it's I, okay. I you know, a, a lot of people like it. It's just it doesn't appeal for me. Oh, and yeah. it And it would keep me up at night <laughs> if I read something like that.
2: That's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: okay. And you've, you've achieved your goal.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: well, I thought that Gregory Longton's going to turn into a werewolf. No. Oh, no, no, come on, just think about that. That would be fun.
1: No, he's suave and dapper. No, no, no. Yeah, no, well,
3: werewolves can be that way. Yeah. <laughs> Vampire, you know, he could run around the country. And Anyway, well, <laughs> I was going to say you could use my idea. No charge, really.
1: Okay, I'll keep it in mind.
3: Yeah, I've heard that before. Whether I use it or
1: not, that's a different story.
3: I've heard that before. Don't call us, we'll call you, and nobody calls.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that one too before. I'll send you an email, and you never hear from anybody.
3: Oh, I know. It happens to me all the time. It's terrible. I guess it's my my hair. I don't have Mm. any. Anyway. (laughs) So let's talk about where people are going to find Danielle. Like, do you have um social media set up? Do you have a website, uh, shows to go to, uh, dances? Are you on? you know, that dance thing on TV coming up or something? Or
1: <laughs> Well, I have my website, DanielaBurnett.com. I'm on Facebook and uh, Goodreads and BookBub. And um, if anybody, any of your listeners will be here in New York on October 12th, I will be doing a reading and book signing at the Mysterious Bookshop in Manhattan. So I would love to see anybody. And um, my website has... Um, an email address. Somebody can drop me a little note. I'm always, I, I always like to hear from people. So um, hmm. I'm looking forward to it.
3: And bookbub, so do, do you work that at all? I, I've never really worked that, um, that website.
1: I, well, I list, I, I, you know, like Goodreads, I list the books that I've read there and I, I've made connections with other authors. So, you know, it, it's another, it's a, a networking type of tool.
3: Yeah, because yeah, I know they do sales, and I know some writers that do things and get really into it and all that with BookBub, but I never have, so I just wondered if...
1: Yeah, no, I haven't done that. I, I just uh, mostly, you know, to to make connections with other authors, and maybe you get to a, a, see a new book that I might be interested in reading, so...
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dave's got a really good one. You might be interested. You should. The horror one. Yeah, yeah, the horror one. It's, it's great. You know, if you can't sleep, this will really help you. Don't worry Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, we appreciate <laughs> you being here. This is uh, interesting. And uh, of course, we'll have all of your links up on our website so people can find you. And uh, of course, the new book's called Betrayed by the Truth. Yes. That's an Emmeline. Kirby and Gregory Longden Mystery so yes. our guest has been the is the author of that book Daniela Burnett thank you for being here
1: thank you, I, I've had a, a wonderful time we always have a great conversation
2: thanks Daniela
1: you've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show to find
2: out more about our guests hosts or shows go to www.